If you have your Bible, you can turn to a couple of verses, Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. This morning, we're continuing our series on the building blocks of a godly home. Before I get to the message, Allison and Jonathan just wanted me to say thank you to the church for supporting them and uh, being there for them and encouraging them and praying for them as they had a big day yesterday. They were married right here in this sanctuary and now uh, they begin their life together as one. And so continue to pray for them and lift them up as they are now one flesh as husband and wife. And they just wanted me to tell you as a church, thank you for all you've done for them over these years and how you've helped them out. So uh, continuing our series, Building Blocks of a Godly Home. So far, we've looked at three building blocks. We've talked about how we have to have the proper foundation, which is Jesus Christ. We talked about how there must be mutual submission in the home. And last week we talked about constant sanctification, that we have to be like Jesus, that we have to live like Jesus, and that we have to love like Jesus. This morning we're going to look at the fourth building block of a godly home called Christ-like forgiveness. A pastor tells a story of a husband who came to him and, and shared with him that he just can't get over his wife's adultery. And he told the pastor, he said, she says she's sorry and she's begged for forgiveness. I said I forgive her, but I can't forget what she did or be close to her again. It's a huge wall between us and I just can't get through it. The pastor told the husband, I'm sure you're in terrible pain, but I don't think the divorce is going to end it. You'll just trade one kind of pain for another. There's a way to keep your marriage together and truly put the past behind you. But you won't find it with the empty kind of forgiveness you've offered your wife. The husband asked the pastor, what do you mean empty kind of forgiveness? The wise pastor responded, imagine you had just confessed a serious sin to God. And for the first time in your life, he spoke to you audibly and said, I forgive you, but I can't never be close to you again. How would you feel? The husband said, I guess I'd feel like God hadn't really forgiven me. The pastor asked him, isn't that exactly what you are doing with your wife? The husband dropped his head. The pastor continued, imagine that God said, I forgive you. I promise never to think about your sin again. I promise to never bring it up and use it against you. I promise not to talk to others about it. And I promise not to let this stand between us and hinder our relationship. After a long silence, the husband's eyes filled with tears and he said this. He said, I would know I was completely forgiven. You see, in all our relationships, but especially within the relationships in our home, there will be a point in time where we will need to forgive each other. We are going to need to look past each other's faults and weaknesses and mistakes. And I don't know of any family in which spouses do not need to forgive each other. I don't know of any family where parents at some point don't need to forgive their children or where children need to forgive their parents or where siblings need to forgive each other. We are around our family members more than anyone else. We live with each other. We do life together. And at some point, we are going to say something or we are going to do something that unintentionally or intentionally offends or hurts our spouse our children, our parents, our siblings. I know I have. I have offended my wife. I have offended my children. They have offended me. 
But you know what? That happens when we do life together. We say things or do things that we wish we would not have said or done. And by the way, husbands never say to your wife, seems like you're just like your mother. Or I never thought we would be married this long. Or your family's crazy. That's okay for her to say that, but not you. Wives never say things to your husbands like I told you so. Or can't you do anything right? And husbands never respond to that rhetorical question by saying, I guess not, I married you. That's not the way to go with that. (laughs) Don't say that. It will only make matters worse. But you know what? If we say things or do things that hurt someone else, we need to ask for forgiveness. And if we are the one who was hurt, we need to extend forgiveness. It's not easy to forgive someone who's hurt us. It's not easy to forgive someone who's wronged us. But even though it's not easy, it is essential. Because forgiveness is the only way that a relationship can be restored and reconciled and repaired. And so this morning, I want to share with you what Christ-like forgiveness is not and what Christ-like forgiveness is. And this morning, I want to challenge you to make sure that your relationships with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your siblings are characterized by Christ-like forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, if there is no forgiveness in the home, It will not be a godly home, but it will be a broken home. Let's read Ephesians 4.32 and then Colossians 3.13. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. In Colossians 3.13, Paul says, Accept one another, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, So you must also forgive. So as believers, we are to completely forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Scripture says we are to forgive like Jesus. So to forgive like Christ is to stand first that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. To forgive means to let go. It means to release. It means to remit. It refers to a debt that has been paid or a debt that has been canceled. Forgiveness is usually undeserved and not earned. It's given freely. Forgiveness is just not saying, I'm sorry, or or, please forgive me, or, or I forgive you. Saying these things are important, but forgiveness is more than saying words. Forgiveness is an attitude of the heart. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson described it best when he said, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we do not... Will enemies mischief, but wish well to them. Grieve at their calamities and pray for them and seek reconciliation with them and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. This is gospel forgiving. You know, growing up, when my brother and I would fight or I would do something to him, which it wasn't that often, but after my mom whooped me, she would say, now tell him you're sorry and give him a hug. You know what I did? I'd say I'm sorry. Did I really mean it? Not most of the time. Because what would happen after mom left the room, the same thing would happen again. And guess what? I have to say I'm sorry again and again and again. Why did I say I was sorry to my brother? 
to appease her. There was no real change of heart. I didn't think I needed to ask for forgiveness. I thought I did nothing wrong. I thought, you know what? He deserved what he got. He had it coming. And he thought I did not deserve to be forgiven because of what I had done to him. And if all we do is say, I'm sorry. If all we do is say, I forgive you, but don't really mean it. There was no use in saying those words to begin with. When someone offends us, when someone hurts us, we need to extend forgiveness to them the way God extends forgiveness to us. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We can't earn God's forgiveness. But he gives it to us freely the moment we realize we've sinned against him and offended him. And just as God is merciful, and just as God is loving in his attitude toward us when we offend him, we are to have a loving and merciful attitude toward others when they offend us. We are to give freely. We are to give willingly. And not just say we forgive someone, but we need to mean it when we say it. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That phrase, remembers your sins no more, does that mean that God does not remember what we've done? Does that mean that God completely forgets what we've done to him? That's not what that means. It, it just means that, that God chooses not to hold our sins against us. When God forgives us, he chooses not to mention them to us again. He chooses not to think about them again. It doesn't mean he's forgotten them completely. He just chooses not to remember them and hold them against us. And when we forgive, we must choose consciously to not think about or bring up what others have done to us. We are to release them from their offense. When God forgives us, that is what he does. He releases us from our offense against him. And one of the worst things that, that we can do as a spouse, as a husband or wife, is bring up the past. To truly forgive does not dwell on the past. To truly forgive does not bring up the past. Can you imagine if God brought up our past when we ask him for forgiveness? So forgiveness isn't a matter of whether we forget. It's how we choose to remember. And honestly, what someone does to us is never fully forgotten. The emotional pain, the physical pain that someone caused us doesn't get erased. However, we can free ourselves from continually remembering what they did to us. And choosing not to dwell on what was done to us, it allows us to move forward in life and not be resentful and not be bitter or not be vindictive. Corey Ten Boom and her family, I'm sure many of you know the story. They resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home and they were ultimately discovered and they were sent to a concentration camp. And, and Corey barely survived until the end of the war and all her family members died in captivity. And even though she was seared by these terrible circumstances, her faith in God did not waver. And she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe, and she was sharing her faith in Christ. And on one occasion in 1947, while speaking at a church in Munich, Germany, she noticed a balding man 
in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room where she was speaking. And she had been talking about this subject of God's forgiveness. But when she recognized that man, when she recognized who he was, her heart froze within her. Because she could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap. And the cruelest of guards at the Ravensbrook camp where Corey had suffered the most terrible indignities and where her own sister had died. But yet there he was hearing her speak on this topic of forgiveness. At the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand extended was this guard. He said to her, thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corey had spoken so easily of the forgiveness of God. But here was a man now in front of her whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She thought she couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor who brutally tortured her and her family. And in the moment, she realized that this man really didn't remember her. How could he remember her out of the thousands of prisoners at that camp? The man continued, you mentioned Ravensbrook. He said, I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, he said, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. Corey said this, she said, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again be forgiven, and I could not, and could not forgive. It could not have been in many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. But I knew I had to do it. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand to the one stretched out to me. And as I did, she said, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, she said, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You see, even though she could not forget what her and her family had been through. In that moment, she chose not to remember. She chose not to be resentful. She chose not to be bitter. And she offered this man forgiveness for all the bad things she had done to him and to her family and to others. And I think of Jesus. When Jesus was on that cross, he said this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus is willing to forgive the men who beat him, who tortured him, who mocked him. Did Jesus forget all those things that were done to him? Absolutely not. But he chose not to hold what was done to him against those men, those men who did those horrible things. Jesus said, Father, I forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And when someone wrongs us, this is exactly how we need to respond. Releasing that person from that offense and not holding it against them. Not allowing what someone has said or someone has done to hinder us from forgiving them. 
Forgiveness is also not excusing. To forgive doesn't mean that you excuse the actions of others. When someone does something to us, we shouldn't be quick to say, well, that's no big deal. That's okay. If someone hurts you, it's a big deal. It's not okay. And the very fact that forgiveness is needed is an indication that what was done was wrong and inexcusable. Think about this. When we sin, God doesn't say, that's not a big deal. God doesn't say, well, that's okay. Sin was such a big deal to God that he sent his own son to give his life for our sin. If sin wasn't a big deal to God, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to the cross. But because sin is a big deal to God, it cost him the giving of his own son. He holds us accountable. He holds us responsible for our words and our actions. And God never says to us, that's okay, that's not a big deal. You see, we need to hold others accountable and responsible for their words and actions as well. And we need to be held accountable for our words and our actions also. And the home spouses need to hold each other accountable. Parents need to hold children accountable. Children should be able to hold parents accountable. There have been times where my boys have called me out and said, Dad, that wasn't right. I didn't like it at first, but you know what? They were right. Our kids have a responsibility, parents, sometimes to hold us accountable. And spouses have the responsibility of holding each other accountable as well. But a big problem in our world today, in our homes today, is a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility. There's always excuses for someone's actions. It's always somebody else's fault. We need to start taking accountability for our own actions. And we need to be willing to hold others responsible for their actions as well. And forgiveness doesn't say it's not a big deal. Forgiveness doesn't say it's not okay. Forgiveness says we both realize what you did was wrong, but since God has forgiven me, I am going to forgive you. Don't make excuses for the actions of others. But do offer forgiveness for the actions and words that they've done or said to you. The fourth thing is forgiveness is not limited. Forgiveness does not run out. Forgiveness does not have a limit. There's only one sin that God will not forgive, and that's the sin of blasphemy. Meaning if someone rejects Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior while they're on this earth, God cannot forgive that sin once they die. That's the only sin God does not forgive. And a great example of of unlimited forgiveness is the parable of the unmerciful servant servant in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And this parable arose from a question Peter asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. It says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus told him, but 70 times seven. You see, Peter wasn't questioning whether or not he should forgive. Being around Jesus all these years, he knew that forgiveness was at the heart of the teaching of Jesus. Peter was wondering, how often should he forgive? He was wondering, Jesus, is there a limit to the forgiveness that I should offer to someone? Because the teaching among the rabbis was that 
someone can be forgiven for an offense up to three times, but not four. Three was the limit. But Peter, being generous, he upped it to seven. Why seven? Because in Scripture, as you know, seven is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of completion. So maybe in Peter's mind, he's thinking, if I've forgiven them seven times, I've given them enough chances, and I've completed my act of extending forgiveness. But Jesus told Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, or some translations may say 77 times. It doesn't matter which. The point is the same, that there is no limit to God's forgiveness, and there should be no limit to our forgiveness as well. Can you imagine if God told you that you had had reached your limit of being forgiven and that you were not to ask for his forgiveness anymore? I think we'd already be out of opportunities to ask for forgiveness. Can you imagine if God put on the, a limit on the number of times that he would forgive us? 1 John 1, 8, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nowhere in Scripture does God say he's only going to forgive us a certain number of times, and that's it. I am so thankful God doesn't have a limit on his forgiveness for us. And because God doesn't limit his forgiveness to us, we should not put a limit on our forgiveness to others. True forgiveness, Christ-like forgiveness, is unconditional no matter the offense. No matter what someone has done to us. People say, you don't understand what someone did to me. You don't understand how, how bad my husband or my wife or my parent or my child hurt me. They don't deserve forgiveness. You know, if Jesus was fair, you know, a lot of people say God's not fair. If Jesus was really fair, if he gave us what we really deserved, he would say, you don't deserve forgiveness. But I'm thankful that God is faithful. And keeps his promises and offers us forgiveness an unlimited amount of times. Now, that doesn't mean we can abuse God's grace and do what we want and go ask for forgiveness. That's not what forgiveness is all about. Paul said we should absolutely not abuse God's grace in that way. But when we do mess up, we can go to God and ask for forgiveness, meaning we desire to change, we desire to be different, and God will extend his forgiveness to us. But don't ever say to someone, they don't deserve forgiveness. Because in reality, what you're saying is you don't deserve God's forgiveness either. I think of the shooter in Buffalo and the shooter of, U of Uvalde. Those were senseless tragedies. Unimaginable tragedies. They were horrific. They were awful. But guess what? We're supposed to forgive those gunmen who did those evil acts. Those aren't my words. Those are God's words. Is it hard to forgive someone who's hurt you in such a horrible way? Absolutely it is. But God says we're to offer forgiveness. And there's not a limit to who we forgive. You see, what people do to us can be so awful that sometimes that we are justified not to forgive. 
Think of Corey Ten Boom. In her mind, when she saw that guard, she said, There's no way I can forgive him for all the horrible things he did to me and my family. But then she thought about it and realized how many times God had forgiven her for all the things she had done. And she came to the conclusion, if God has forgiven me for all I've done, I've got to be able to forgive this man for all he's done. And she did. And in the moment when when someone hurts us in such a horrible way, not to forgive them might seem like a rational response, but you know what? That's a worldly response. In the context of Scripture, this is an irrational response. This is not Christ-like to say that someone doesn't deserve my forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. What happened in Uvalde, what happened in Buffalo, what's happened in other parts of our nation, those are inexcusable actions. But even though they're inexcusable, it still means that we need to be people of forgiveness. Why, as C.S. Lewis said, because God has forgiven us of our inexcusable actions towards him and others, and we need to be willing to forgive as well. And what if God told you and me that we didn't deserve his forgiveness? In reality, we don't. Because we are the ones who offended him. We are the ones who rebelled against him. We are the ones who hurt him. But because of his love for us, he freely offers us forgiveness. And if Jesus can forgive us for what we've done to him, there is nothing for which we should not be willing to forgive others. We need to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And in the parable that Peter asked that question that led to the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. It was a parable about a servant who owed the king an enormous amount of money and he couldn't pay it. And the king said that he and his family would have to be sold into slavery. And he got on his knees and he begged the king to be patient with him, to give him time. But in that moment, the king had mercy, Scripture says, and forgave his debt and let him go. And then this forgiven servant, he found another servant who owed him very little. And he assaulted that servant and he choked that servant. And this servant begged him to be patient with him, but he refused. And so he had this servant thrown in jail until the debt could be paid. The king who had forgiven him caught wind of what happened. He called that servant back in and he scolded him and he said this in verse 33, I canceled your debt. Shouldn't you have shown mercy to your fellow servant the way I showed mercy to you? And the king threw him in jail and had him tortured until he could pay all of his debt. The point of the parable that Jesus told is this, that God's forgiveness is unlimited. God's forgiveness is unconditional. God's forgiveness is universal. There is not one person who God is not willing to forgive. And if there is one person that God is not willing to forgive, there should not be one person that we are not willing to forgive either. Our forgiveness should be unlimited. Our forgiveness should be universal. It should be applied to all who who personally hurt us, no matter the offense. And it's often necessary to forgive the same person for multiple offenses. 
or sometimes even the same offense. And spouses, as long as you live with your husband or wife, you're going to have to forgive them unless you kill them first, and that's a whole other issue. Spouses are going to make mistakes. Spouses are not perfect. Parents, as long as you have children, you're going to have to forgive them. I haven't seen a perfect child yet. And I'm sure you haven't either. And kids, as long as you have parents, you're going to have to forgive them. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And if Jesus can forgive us, there is nothing for which we should not forgive others. And how can we ask God for forgiveness for the things we've done to Him when we will not forgive others for the things they have done to us? I've shared with you four things what forgiveness is not. I want to give you a couple of things of what forgiveness is. The first thing is this, forgiveness is a choice. God did not have to forgive us. God could have chosen to let us remain dead in our sin and be condemned to hell. But even though he did not have to forgive us, he willingly and lovingly chose to offer us forgiveness. And when God forgives, he does not hold the grudge against us. When God forgives, he does not hold our sins against us. In Psalm 103, 12, it says he separates them as far as the east is from the west. And because scripture makes it very clear, we are to forgive like Jesus. We are not to be resentful toward others. We are not to hold grudges. We are not to hold what they did to us against them. And in fact, when we forgive, we are demonstrating that we are choosing to surrender our right to hurt someone for them hurting us. Now, can you choose not to forgive? Can you choose to hold the grudge? You can. But by choosing not to forgive, you are now sinning as you are being disobedient to God's command to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, which I read at the beginning, just as Christ has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Must also. There's no wiggle room. There's no gray area. This is a command and an expectation of God. Two little brothers, Harry and James, they'd finished supper and they were playing until bedtime. And, and somehow Harry hit James with a stick. Sounds familiar, two brothers. Tears and bitter words followed. And they continued to charge, make charges and accusations against others until their mother got them ready for bed. And she said this, she said, now boys... What would happen if either of you died tonight? You never had the opportunity again to forgive one another. James spoke up and he said, well, okay, I'll forgive him tonight, but if we're both alive in the morning, he'd better look out. (laughs) James was holding a grudge. James was not going to let it go. How often do we hold on to grudges and choose not to forgive? You see, life is too short. Relationships are too important to not forgive. And if you say you love Jesus as a follower of Jesus, then you will choose to forgive like Christ. And if you want Jesus to forgive you, as Scripture says in Matthew 6, 14 and Luke 6, 37, you will forgive others. And by the way, You also can't worship God if you're not right with God by forgiving others. 
Matthew 5, 23 and 24. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, so if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, if you are not willing to offer forgiveness or extend forgiveness, then you can't worship me. Because why? You can't be right with God if you're not right with others. So I want to challenge you and encourage you, make the choice to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. The last point I want to make is forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. You see, when a sin is committed, a debt has to be paid. And because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, He sent His Son to pay our sin debt on the cross. We couldn't pay our debt, but God chose to pay it for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can either accept God's payment for our sin or we can reject it. And if you do not accept God's payment, Scripture says, then you have to pay your sin debt yourself. Romans 6, 23. I just lost Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's a wage? It's a payment. There has to be a payment for our sin. That payment is death. We either can choose to take that payment by rejecting Christ. Or we can choose Christ to make that payment for us by receiving Christ. And if we receive Christ, it says, it's a gift of God which leads to eternal life. So when someone sins against you, when someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, they have a debt to pay. And we either can take payment from them or make payment for them. You say, well, how do we take payment from them? We take payment from them by withholding forgiveness. We take payment from them by being resentful. We take payment from them by by seeking revenge, by inflicting physical or emotional pain, by gossiping, by cutting off the relationship. Maybe trying to hurt them as much or more as they hurt us. That's how we take payment. Someone defined forgiveness as the poison we drink, hoping others will die. You see, when we don't forgive, we are hurting ourselves more than we're hurting the one who offended us. Because the one who hurt you is not hurt by you not offering forgiveness. But instead of taking payments from people, we need to make payments for people. How do we make a payment for someone who's wronged us? By releasing them from the penalty they deserve to pay. That's what Jesus did for us. He released us from the penalty that we deserve to pay and he paid it for us. And when we forgive someone, we need to release them from the penalty they deserve to pay. And when we choose to forgive, we're saying, your debt is paid. Your debt is canceled in our hearts and in our minds. Now, can we forgive like this on our own? The answer is no. This only can come through Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And when you struggle with forgiving others, think about how Jesus has forgiven you. Think about how Jesus gave his life for you. Think about how Jesus made the payment for your sin and did not take payment from you. And be willing to make the payment for someone who has wronged you instead of taking payment from them. 
There was a couple that was married for 15 years and they began having more than usual disagreements. So they wanted to make their marriage work and they agreed to this idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip in what was called a fault box. The wife had a fault box that the man would drop his wife's faults in. The woman had a drop box that the man would drop his wife's faults in. And the boxes would provide a place to let the other one know about their daily irritations. I promise you, if I did that, my box would be full by the end of the month. But the wife was diligent in her efforts, and, and she approached putting things in her husband's box. Things like this, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the bathroom floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, toilet lit up, not, not picking up after yourself, smelling your shirts and socks, and on and on until the end of the month. At the end of the month, after dinner, they exchanged boxes. The husband opened his box and reflected on all the wrong things he had done throughout the month. The wife opened her box and began reading. And she noticed they were all the same and they had one simple message. I love you. That is an incredible picture of forgiveness and love. He was not going to let his wife's irritations keep him from loving her. Keep him from restoring that relationship and saving that marriage. And the way we show we love God, we love others, is by forgiving others. And 1 John 4, 20, 21 says this. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We have this command from him, the love, the one who loves God must also love his brother. How do we show we love God? By loving others. How do we love others? By extending and offering forgiveness and forgiving those who've wronged us. And God is willing to forgive us as he went to great lengths to do it. 1 John 4.10 says, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute or the sacrifice for our sins. The key to forgiving others is remembering how far God went to forgive us and how much God has forgiven us. What we did to Jesus is far worse than what people have done or will do to us. And what your spouse or your child, or your parent will do to you. And when God has forgiven each of us so much, we should be willing to forgive others of much less. If we want to build a godly home, we must be willing to forgive like Christ. Jesus was willing to go all the way. Jesus was willing to do what it takes to offer us forgiveness. How far are we willing to go To forgive others. Maybe you're here this morning. You've not given your life to Christ. The only way that you can have a relationship with Christ. The only way that your sins can be forgiven. Is if you give your life to him. And ask Jesus to make the payment for your sin. By receiving him into your life as your Lord. And your Savior. And if you haven't received Jesus today. I'd love to show you and share with you. How you can come to know Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning, you've given your life to Christ. I ask you this question, is your home defined by Christ-like forgiveness? 
Do you forgive your spouse? Do you forgive your children? Do you forgive your parents and your siblings the way God has forgiven you? And maybe this morning you need to forgive your spouse or your child or your parent for something they have done to you. Or maybe you know you yourself have hurt someone or offended someone in your home and you need to ask them to forgive you. I'd encourage you to do that today. If you've offended someone, offer them forgiveness. If you've hurt someone, make things right. If someone has hurt you, don't hold a grudge, don't be vindictive, don't be bitter. Offer them the opportunity to be forgiven. This altar is open for you this morning if you need to offer forgiveness or extend forgiveness. And maybe there are husbands and wives or parents and children that need to come to pray and, and forgive each other here at the altar. Whatever you need to do this morning is between you and God. But I can guarantee you every one of us need to understand what Christ-like forgiveness is. Because every one of us in our lives have offended or hurt someone or been hurt or offended by someone at some point. And maybe you're in one of those two places now. Demonstrate Christ-like forgiveness in your life this morning. This altar is open for you. Maybe there's other decisions, maybe baptism, or maybe God's calling you to be part of our church. Whatever it is God is calling to you, however he's leading you this morning, we encourage you to come to this altar and pray. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer of commitment, and then we're going to have a song of invitation. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We just thank you for this time in your word. Father, we thank you for the example of forgiveness we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that Jesus was willing to forgive us. And Lord, he just didn't say, I'm going to forgive you. He just didn't say, I want to forgive you. He showed he wanted to forgive us by, by going to that cross, by giving his life for us and shedding his blood for us. And Father, I pray if there's broken relationships this morning in the home that need repairing, where, all, where forgiveness needs to be offered or extended, Father, I pray that forgiveness would take place. Father, I pray that you would heal families that are hurting. Father, I pray that you would repair families that are broken. And Father, I pray that we would understand the importance of forgiveness. And God, we don't deserve your forgiveness, but you choose to give it to us anyway. And Father, even though we may not think someone deserves to be forgiven, may we remember how you have forgiven us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time we've had in your word. It's your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I'll be down at the front.